Welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. This is Series 10, a Rare Birds collaboration with Ghanaian-based Startup Lounge Africa. Startup Lounge Africa is on a mission to continually organize useful information and relevant networks that prioritize the collaborative growth and sustainability of African startups. They are pioneering a special project titled 54 Days Across Africa. 54 Days Across Africa is an initiative geared towards showcasing innovative startup solutions through a continent-wide virtual tour to herald their recently launched digital matchmaking platform, Kutana Africa. 54 Days Across Africa is being completed on a block-by-block basis. They're having tours in the following order. The West Africa Block, the East Africa Block, Central Africa Block, Southern Africa Block, and finally, the North Africa Block. They recently completed the West Africa Block and are currently doing East Africa. In this series, you will hear me in conversation with a few of the startups featured on the West Africa Block. Keep listening in to hear more about Kutana Africa, as well as the four startups I will be in conversation with over the course of the next few weeks. First of all, we're using um, social media. We're using Facebook. Mm-hmm. After them, we got uh, we got actually a deal with uh, the national television, and we use them as a media platform where we gave them content every week. On normally, we have businesses that have um, so like most of our competitors who are the traditional travel and tour agencies. They have tour guides as well, so we come into connection with them they give us their guides we train them and then we give their guides some tourists to go on tours with them so those folks we can classify them as businesses or agents this has been um, a continent with a lot of opportunities um, a, a lot of resources as well and i did indicate earlier on about the potential of the free trade area that's out to say <laughs> if i were to just paraphrase the news would be that they mostly focus on parents so it's more of like how you're gonna help those schools so it's either they focus on parents or they focus on teachers for example be juice which is all about um yeah as i said it's all about the process so I see it as a brand, though, that is exporting internationally and right. um, that has its followers and fans and where people feel they can even contribute to the growing and the process and the developing of, of the brand. Um, and they... In the first episode, number 198, you will hear me speaking with Samuel Opoku and Prince Kelly Anyomit, founding partners of Startup Lounge Africa. In episode number 199, I speak with the founder of Tukwan, Philip Gideon I. Darko. In episode 200, I speak with Badu Mbai Jr., the Gambian founder of Hitech. In episode 201, I speak with Prosper Ukachi, the Nigerian founder of Shortcode. And lastly, in episode 202, I speak with Lydia Aminyaglo, the Ghanaian German founder of Plenty Plenty Africa. 
I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations and hearing what some of the early stage startups and their founders are building in West Africa. Remember, this list is by no means exhaustive. And if you would like to learn more about the various startups featured on the tour, do visit the Startup Lounge website at www.startuploungegh.com. And as always, visit the Rare Birds HQ website at www.rarebirdshq.com for more conversations as we continue to share all the transformation happening across emerging markets around the globe. Bye for now. Welcome to episode 202 of series 10, a Rare Birds collaboration with Ghanaian-based Startup Lounge Africa, a series of podcasts featuring some of the West African startups on the West Africa tour. In episode 202, I speak with Lydia Aminyaglo, the Ghanaian-German founder of Plenty Plenty Africa. When Lydia traveled through Africa in early 2020, it was life-changing for her. Her father's cocoa farm, the beauty of Africa, the potential of the people, the desire to change things, all led to the creation of Plenty Plenty Africa. Plenty Plenty Africa is a cocoa farm with an attached production facility based in Ghana. The value creation of the entire cocoa fruit will take place in Ghana and the products will be placed on the international market. In this episode, you will get to know Lydia, learn more about her family's history with farming. You'll hear her discuss the end product. You'll understand the basics of cocoa production. You'll hear her discuss government policy towards cocoa production. She'll discuss some of the byproducts of cocoa production. You'll hear her talk about the team behind Plenty Plenty Africa, as well as the challenges, the rewards, and the role of culture when building a business in Ghana. She'll share with us her big vision, and she'll end with some insights for others who may be interested in agro, particularly opportunities to build startups. Listen in to another fascinating episode. And as always, I will see you guys at the end. Greetings, Lydia, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me here. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I am thrilled to speak with you because you're in one of my favorite sectors, which is agriculture. So I'm really <laughs> looking forward to learning more about you and your work. So Lydia, Lydia Amenyaglo, tell us more mm -hmm. about you, who you are, your background, where you come from, etc. Sure, sure. Um, so yes, my name is Lydia Maniaglo, and my last name is actually an Ewa name because my father, he is uh, Ghanaian, and uh, it translates to there's a problem, we have to solve it. And that's basically kind of like my mission throughout life. Mm. Um, I grew up in Germany because I have a German mother, um, and I have two other siblings. Um, and very early on, I was always interested in um, 
solving problems such as uh, modern day slavery um, everything that is concerned um, around social justice. And um, that basically led me to my studies, which was international politics and history, because after that, I wanted to found a company that was um, a social business and that would integrate women from um, who were caught in modern slavery and would give them another chance at um, life. And that's exactly what I did after my studies. Um, and yes, but I noticed like when the startup was going, I noticed, yes, yeah, somehow I also, um, yeah, needed more experience also on the job. And that's when I um, gained more experience, especially in communication and um, also like in the startup scene. Um, I was working a lot in storytelling, social media and communications. Um, but then, yeah, traveled to Africa. And from then on, um, a whole other plan evolved, um, which I'm going to tell you more about later on. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. So you spent, I guess, the first half of your life, you were based in Germany. You were born there, raised there, educated there, yes. to university there and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I mean... Yeah, Lydia, I traveled a lot and I've lived in other countries, but yes, the most part of my life I spent in Germany. Um, yeah. Okay. So tell us about how you, and because you're living in Ghana now. So tell us how you ended back, uh, back in Ghana, mm-hmm. how you got back to Ghana, which is your father's country. Wow. Yes. Um, that is a really good question. Um, actually, um, it started in 2017 when I traveled to Africa with my father and siblings for the first time, because, um, before that I've never really been to Ghana properly. Um, I've been there to just visit my family and I've never experienced the real Ghana. But when I went in 2017 with my family, um, it was a totally different experience because my father would show us around. Where did he grow up? Um, Where did basically all of the money that he would always uh, send to uh, Ghana, um, where would that actually end up? And we, he took us to the, the farm and the land that he um, set up. And yeah, one day we were just standing on this mountaintop and um, he was showing us the land and said, one day all this will be, will be yours. And in that moment, I kind of understood, wow, this is what my father has been working for for all these years. And um, I felt a calling to actually do something with this land. And yeah, and then of course, 2019 happened, year of return, and that was um, Ghana full out. And that's when I said, I have to move to Ghana and I am going to make this my home. I'm going to make something from the potential that I see. Yes, that is basically how I ended up here. And since July, I'm living in Ghana. Since July of this year, 2021? This year, yes. Wow, that's an incredible story, Lydia. That's quite powerful, actually. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of the turning point, and that's where it all started. Okay, so now you can tell us about the farm that you're building. Sure. 
Um, so basically, um, my family comes from generations of cocoa farming, right? Um, my grandparents, they back then they came from Togo, um, actually my great grandparents even, and they started uh, cocoa farming here. And um, they would always invest the money to somehow send my father to, um, to, to Germany. And that's where I met my mother. And then, then there was me. <laughs> and yeah. um, during that time, um, so my father invested in, in, in his own land then. Um, and he said he wants to continue what his father um, was building with the cocoa farming. And um, I somehow watched him do it. And I said, I actually want to um, do even more with it. I want to um, see cocoa, not only that we just farm it and, you know, give it to somebody else. So they actually make the profit from it, which is uh, the big companies and the big corporations that we all know and the chocolate um, manufacturers. But I said to myself, like, I really want to see cocoa take its um, original place that it actually had in if you look pre-colonial time um, and take its place again. So right now um, we have the 64 acre farm um, and I would say about 40% um, is planted with cocoa and the rest there, um, there are other things growing like mango and moringa and yes, we're currently trying to uh, switch the farm from the normal farming to actually organic farming. And um, that is something we have our focus on right now. Yes. Well, um, Lydia, what I, what I was asking was what exactly is the final product? Are you selling uh, just raw cacao or are you uh, processing it and breaking it down into some other products that you will, that you will then distribute? Yes. So um, this question has to be answered um, in two ways, basically, um, because there's um, somehow we have to think of there's the end game um, on what I would like this company to be about, which is um, a brand that will produce all kinds of cocoa products. And then there is um, this transitioning phase in which we have to generate um, cash flow. So we are starting with selling the raw cocoa, um, but then we are transitioning to actually producing and manufacturing on the land. And these products include like um, uh, cocoa scrubs, um, cocoa juice, because what many people don't know is that actually a lot of the cocoa fruit is being wasted during on-farm processing, actually 80% of it. And we aim to use the 100%. And um, that which is being wasted is the juice. And we would like to make um, cocoa juice and different um, drinks from um, the fruit. Yes. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. So right now you are selling raw cacao to generate cash flow. You know, very quickly, could you just talk to us about cocoa production or cacao production? How does it all 
how does it work? How do you how do you grow it? How how long does it take to produce the fruit? Like, give us the inner workings of of growing the actual um the you know because I know it looks like a a nice big pod and when you pop it open it's got like some seeds and and whatnot inside. Can you walk us through that process of growing it? Um, yes, I can. I can. Okay. I do have to admit, I'm not the biggest expert expert on cocoa farming because that's why I have um, family who's supporting and helping me with the whole um, process of cocoa farming, and I'm still learning the ropes, right? Sure. Um, sure. But um, here are the yeah here are the the, the things that um, I think somebody from outside might not know. Um, so. From growing the cocoa plants, um, it takes about three to five years, depending on the kind of cocoa you're growing, for the um, cocoa uh, tree to grow and give um, fruit and bear fruit. And with each year, there's more and more um, fruit. And the cocoa tree in total will... Uh, last about 50 to 70 years. Um, so you can harvest um, approximately two times a year. And actually now it's uh, cocoa season. So now um, people are harvesting uh, cocoa. Um, then how it is maybe being, um, how is it being harvested? So basically um, we collect the cocoa fruits. It's a it's a pot, right? And it has about um, sixty to eighty kernels um, inside the, the the shell, the fruit. Um, and these ones that you want to get. So you open up the the pot, get out the kernels, and then you dry them in the sun. And then basically the uh, kernels they are so surrounded by like a very sweet. Um, yeah, what is it called? Like a sweet, uh, 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 it's like almost like a slime, uh, which yeah. you can also eat actually. Is that the white but when part, it dry, right? That's the white, the white part. part. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. exactly. Have, you, have you tasted it before? Yes, I have. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. Good. It's actually quite a nice flavor, but it's nothing, tastes nothing like chocolate yet. No. But yes. And it's slimy and kind of gross, actually. <laughs> you think it's gross? Oh, like, <laughs> like it just like, you know, it's kind of like that slimy. No, it doesn't taste bad. It just kind of looks, it's nothing like what you expect it to be. Because when you yes. buy chocolate, you don't realize yes. Oh, okay. This is what the plant actually looks like. So yeah, it's it's quite an eye opener. But yeah, <laughs> yes, it, yeah. <laughs> but good that you have uh, that you have tasted it before. Everybody thinks different um, about it, but um, I quite like it. Um, but yes, so basically, um, you dry that in the sun, and then um, it gets that um, after a few days. It um, if you open it up. It will get that really, oh, I forgot one part. You actually let it rot under plantain leaves and then oh. you put it out, in the, then you put it out in the sun to dry. And then when you open up the, 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 um, the kernels, basically um, it, you have that inside, you have the, um, the, you have that, what, which actually is called uh, the coco. And that's when you actually also smell what chocolate uh, tastes like in the end. Um, right. So, yeah, and from there, um, it is uh, packaged into, um, um, the, um, put into bags, and they all are 
weigh uh, about 66 kilograms. Um, and then the in Ghana, it is very uh, different to other countries, right? Because in Ghana, the cocoa belongs to the government um, and that is organized by the cocoa bot. And um, they basically set the price in the um, beginning of each uh, cocoa season. Oh, so, okay, that's yeah. interesting. So the farmers know actually which price they will get for the um, bags they will sell. Um, and there are trading companies that's where the farmers can uh, trade the cocoa too. And then the cocoa is then traded from the trading company to the cocoa bot. Um, okay. Yes. All right. Got it. So it's quite a, would you say it's a capital intensive, complex and sort of um, timely process, just not just growing it, but processing it and breaking it down and that in that entire process that you just took us through. It is very, I think it is very time consuming. It is a lot of hard work and takes a lot of um, dedication and mm. thinking about like how much effort and how much work you put into it and how much actually the farmer gets out of it. Um, it's definitely not a fair system. Let's put it this way. Um, mm -hmm. So I, yes, I definitely think that especially in Ghana, when you look at how um, cocoa is being traded and how cocoa is being um, farmed and harvested, um, I think it is quite complex um, and definitely need the, the whole system needs um, yeah, a renewal. And um, I think things can be set up differently so that actually more people benefit from um, the trading and selling of Cool. Yeah, I'm not too um, like well versed on it, but I, I have been reading uh, just bits and pieces about challenges with uh, cocoa production in Ghana. And um, wasn't there something very recently this year, a policy that was passed by the government that they would was was it that they were going to make all the cocoa production uh was it make it local or or something like <laughs> that because i think something was happening in europe i don't know i don't know all of it to be honest i just read something somewhere but i know there's been a lot of controversy and um there's been a lot of stories about um how the the you know there needs to be like a sort of a rethinking of cultivation of cocoa in ghana Yes. So this was basically a statement by Nana Ado, who visited Switzerland and he made this um, statement, um, mm. which was a bit um, overinterpreted, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so basically what um, he was saying is that he wants to do more um, local production um, inside Ghana. And when mm. he was talking about that production, he was talking more about um, the, the, so there is a process of um, um, processing the cocoa beans into four different stages, which is um, liquor, powder, um, and to, to, to other ones. And um, the press misinterpreted as Ghana is not selling any cocoa to Switzerland anymore, which is one of the biggest 
manufacturers of chocolate and um, right. other cocoa products, right? right. Um, so everyone, when I was in the in, in Germany and the whole diaspora was um, clapping hands and saying like, wow, finally we are taking back our cocoa. Um, but when you actually look at the Ghanaian cocoa landscape, this is actually not what is really happening. It is still very hard for people in Ghana to manufacture um, cocoa products because, right. as I said, cocoa belongs to the state. So if even I, who um, is growing her own cocoa, I have to sell my cocoa to Cocoa Bot and buy it back again. Um, mm, so, okay. Yes. So that makes things um, a lot harder, definitely. And um, uh, yes, that statement, um, I wish it would be... Um, as true as the the press hyped uh, hyped it, but it's um, there's definitely still lots to do. I think um, yes, but also um, a friend of mine he's actually shooting a documentary right now um, about exactly about this statement, and um, he has been speaking to uh, quite a bit of. Um, actors from the cocoa board and to uh, scholars and they say change is happening but it is very slow um so yes that's okay. what i can say so about that. so if i understood this correctly the president visited switzerland he made a statement about ghana wanting to uh, um take all its cocoa production local at home, because right now mm -hmm. it's being done in Switzerland, that was taken out or something along those lines that was taken out of context and it became a big thing in the media. But the truth on the ground is that that is quite difficult because it's expensive, but I guess cocoa production is expensive and all the other, I guess, um, legalities and what else surrounding that because you said it's it's basically um it's it's ran and managed by the state so the fact is it's going to be a long time before ghana can do its own cocoa production right exactly because um just to to add up on that i mean there are three main um manufacturers of um cocoa who process it to this next stage. And um, they have all the facilities already set up in Ghana, in Cote d'Ivoire, in, in West Africa. And right. to build a system like this will take time for Ghana. Um, Got it. Okay, mm -hmm. I see. Understood. Okay, you said something very interesting earlier, which is that you talked about uh, the cocoa juice, which is, I mm -hmm. guess, one of the byproducts that is um, that, you know, that, and there's I guess it's wasted. You said there's a lot of waste and you mm -hmm. want to take that juice and you want to make an end product. So what are some of the end products that you can make with that juice outside of you mentioned beauty products um, and skincare? Are there other things that you can make from that? That juice? from the juice yeah um so what i'm looking into right now is um different drinks because right. when before the cocoa juice is basically being made before it becomes um cocoa right before it actually tastes like chocolate and it has a lot of um antioxidants it has many lots of like um beneficial um vitamins uh, that are in there for the body so i'm right now looking at it more as something that is that i would not put into beauty right now i'm not thinking of 
in, in terms of beauty products when it comes to cocoa juice, but more how can I um, serve it as a drink or in, within snacks, um, something like this. So I'm looking into differently flavored drinks, for example, combine it with ginger, combine it with tiger nuts. Um, so I'm right now experimenting with different um, combinations um, where we can serve chilled and cool um, different variations of uh, cocoa juice. Right. And it sounds like you're, you're trying to create an organic brand in the long term, something that will um, will be free of, I guess, toxins and be sort of like a, a sustainable product that you can sell, I guess, wherever. I guess you're looking to sell your product anywhere, right? It's, it's not just exactly. going to be a local product, right? Exactly. I mean, um, for me, it is as you as you already said. Um, for me, organic is very important. Um, organic and raw, uh, not using um, any additives, um, and definitely also experimenting also with um, indigenous ingredients, right? Because um, as the West is. In, or the global north is importing more and more um, processed food into Ghana. Um, I would love for Ghana, um, and I just recently became part of the Ghana food movement, and I'm super excited about that because there are lots of people who point out so many um, indigenous foods that we have forgotten about, and I would like to put them on the map again, and I would like to use them um, and combine it with cocoa. So yes, when you look at cocoa and its history and its pre-colonial history, mm -hmm. it has been very much um, uprooted from its original use, which was an, an elitist food used for medicinal purposes. And today we only know it as the main ingredient for chocolate and you can get chocolate as cheap as um, 60 cents. So I also want to take cocoa and put it um, and put it back into the context in which it is also understood as um, a very um, healthy and also um, very exclusive food um, that has even more it is even more beneficial than dates and um, you can actually survive off of uh, cocoa for a very long time um, so yes that is kind of like my mission that's what is um, driving me uh, yes. Right. Now, you mentioned that it is, is did you say 63 acres, Lydia? Yeah, the farm is 63 um, acres? 64, yes. 64, okay. Can you tell us, I know you said it's it's a family farm, so you're getting support from family, extended family and, and friends and whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit about just sort of um, your team, like the wider team? Um, is it just yourself right now being supported by your family? Or do you have like a co-founder and some teammates that, that you're building with? So, yes. Um, I mean, so far, it is only me okay. um, who's building the brand Plenty Plenty Africa and developing it. But when it comes to the groundwork, um, people working on the farm, it is um, my uncle who is supporting me and who is uh, managing the farm. Um, and then we have, of course, some workers who are working the farm um, itself. Um, then I have a really 
good network, mentor network from the African Tech Vision, um, which was an accelerator, which I took part in earlier this year and who, and who really supported me um, with um, legal advice and um, product advice. So these are about three to four mentors that I have continuous calls with. And then, of course, my close family, my brother, who um, is uh, working as a strategic advisor, and he's um, giving me a lot of advice on how to um, build up this company. And my father, who's an engineer, he's helping me um, when it comes to machines and uh, production and generally culture in Ghana, uh, yes. which can also sometimes be uh, tough. Right. I mean, so it's 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 a family business. It's right now it's a family business and you're building it. And then, of course, with time, you'll hire you will hire people and 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 get more of like a, a team involved outside of your initial network. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned something interesting just now, which is the culture in Ghana. And I want to talk about that because you said you moved back in July of this year. Um, mm -hmm. So what has that been like in terms of, I mean, I, I know there's personal, but in terms of like the business, what has that been like uh, trying to do this, um, being someone who is, you know, you're obviously you're Ghanaian, but you grew up in, in Germany, so you're German as well, and then you have to adjust to the culture, and then there's the business culture. You mentioned that your dad helps you with that as well. Uh, would you like to share with us some challenges or maybe some I don't know, there could be some benefits as well of of, of operating <laughs> in, you know, because sometimes I find like from my personal experience, sometimes being like on the outside has its benefits because you're so like blissfully unaware of context. So it's like that naivete <laughs> or being ignorant is almost like a good thing because you just you just do it. Like you don't even think about things. Whereas maybe if you were from yeah. the culture, you would have more of those um, hindrances or hangups. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I said that. So can you talk to I... us a little bit about that? What that's like? Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, yes, I definitely feel you on this question. Um, when I made my decision to move to Ghana, I was super excited and I had this um, naive um, excitement to, to move here. And um, I actually thought things are going to be much easier because I wouldn't have all of the bureaucratic hassle that I would have in Germany with setting up a business. And um, at that point in my life, I definitely identified much more with being Ghanaian uh, and um, completely dismissed kind of also my German side. But now that I've been here in Ghana for three months, I see the, the downsides and the upsides. So for me, um, the, the upsides definitely of being here is that there is an enormous amount of potential when it comes to business ideas and um, starting with small resources and doing something great out of it. It doesn't take a lot. And mm. um, you can easily get people also excited for what you want to do. Um, also, people, I feel, are always um, open to connect and open to learn. Um, but that also brings me to the downsides. Sometimes I'm 
there like in in the in the at, at first encounter they will be very excited and they will and they say they will be there but then you'll wait for them three days and they won't come mm. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. sometimes things that um especially i think when it comes to timing that you have to take into account um yeah. when you're building a product that it is just um, different timing and you can't expect it to be ready at this and this point but everybody knows it so since everybody's kind of working on that um irregular schedule um nobody's really expecting you to deliver on time right so yeah. um that's what i really like the the easiness about um how people go about things here in ghana as well and not taking things too seriously sometimes and having fun in the process of it Right. Whereas I think um, if you were to compare that to Germany, I guess, mm-hmm. well, you know, when we think of German stereotypes, <laughs> right, it's like very <laughs> yeah. serious and, and everything's very like sort of everything has a purpose, everything has a plan, everything is organized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and things are done in a in a in a very um, meticulous and sort of well calculated way. So but I mean, exactly. you know, sometimes you just have to meet somewhere in the middle, I guess. That's what I think is also the secret, I guess, behind um, building this brand is taking the best from both sides and combining it and making magic from it, basically. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lydia, where I mean, we know the, the, the end goal, like you told us earlier, we know what you're doing now. It sounds like, you know, you're just in the initial stages. You're really in the early stages. So mm-hmm. where like what is your plan like long term? Do you think this is something like I'm, I imagine that at some point you will lean into some of the resources that you have back home in Germany? I mean, just in terms of like whatever resources that you that that you can get that can help you with um, building the business and like growing and extending it, even if you wanted, you know, at some point to export to the EU and so on. But like beyond that, do you want this to do you want the farm to 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 grow bigger? Do you want it to be like this massive sort of farm where you're hiring thousands of people and employing people? And like what is like your your big vision for for this? Um, yes. So the vision for Plenty Plenty Africa is to still remain um, an intimate brand. So okay. I would like I would like it to to be a brand where people within the company um, still know each other and where we still enjoy the process of it. So I'm I'm not a fan of this like exponential growth and growing it into this multi-billion dollar industry. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, it's all about, um, yeah, as I said, it's all about the process. So I see it as a brand though that is exporting internationally and right. um, that has its followers and fans and where people feel they can even contribute to the growing and the process and the developing of, of the brand. Um, and they can basically say about themselves, like I belong to the Plenty Plenty Africa um, family and I um, identify with its values um, and what it stands for. So um, yes, that's kind of the vision. For sure. And the name Plenty Plenty, how how did that come about? Plenty Plenty. 
Plenty, plenty Africa. It actually stands for this um, abundance and the richness of Africa. And it corresponds to the, the attitude towards life that I encountered again and again um, on my trip through Africa. Mm. Um, it's basically to create something great with the few resources that are there and um, to realize that while the means are limited, the resources are almost inexhaustible. Um, and because it is Africa is for me the continent where we have to think in terms of plenty. There's plenty of land, plenty potential, plenty opportunities, warmth, joy, raw materials. And we should not always think in terms of Africa is missing or lacking, but it already has everything it needs and it doesn't need to um, uh, go anywhere else to be great. Um, so we should also accept it for what it is. But also plenty, plenty for me is plenty. I, I whenever I, I, I mean, I love Afrobeats. I love African music, mm -hmm. and um, I have been listening to songs. And the word plenty always comes um, is in the lyrics. So somehow I thought of plenty, plenty. It reminds me of a joy that uh, describes the continent pretty well. Um, yeah. yeah, plenty, plenty. It's cool. <laughs> uh, my final, my final question for you is. Um, you know, the agricultural sector is not sexy, right? It's not a sexy sector. It's not it's not a sector that young people are rushing to. Right. However, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion, I believe it's a sector that has massive opportunity. I think that agriculture is like a massive sector with a lot of opportunity. Like when you just look at the, the statistics, right, about what is happening in the world in terms of food shortages, food poverty, the fact that there's so many countries in the world that rely on other countries for food. I mean, if you put it in an African context, like we always read that Africa has like 60% of the world's arable land and mm -hmm. all of this other stuff. But young people are not rushing to get into agriculture, right? And here you are, you're a young woman, you're from Germany and you're in agriculture. Hmm. So for me, I think um, we can, for me, you always have to connect personally with um with a venture, right? Or whatever this, whatever it may be. So mm -hmm. for me, the most beautiful thing that everybody can do is to reconnect with nature, right? Mm. And, and I think one of the most um, rewarding things is growing your own food or watching your own food grow mm. and taking care of it and then actually um, maybe planting that aubergine and then you're going to make um, a nice stew from it or so. So um, for me, first of all, it's this reconnecting to what it actually takes um, to grow our food, how much effort goes into it and then what you actually get out of it. And then you have a whole other appreciation for that in entire sector um, because right now we are quite detached from, um, the, from, from agriculture and from how our food is grown. Um, what I can give also as an advice is that um, the rewards actually and return in agriculture um, can be made actually quite fast because Mother Nature 
is giving us so much. And as you already pointed out, especially the soil. In, so all you have to do is um, throw some kind of seed onto the soil and it will just grow. So um, it does not actually take a lot in the beginning to, 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 to um, grow a farm and um, start with maybe something small and then you will see the rewards come up pretty quickly especially also for yourself. And then you will also have the joy of um, uh, having other people take part in that process. Um, so I think agriculture in itself is something that should not be only talk, uh, thought of in, in terms of just um, effort and work, but it's actually um, thinking about this is the food that you put into your body. And this is um, you reconnecting with something where you came from and um, that is giving you the power to go throughout each day um yes yeah because we all need to eat right we all need to eat exactly yeah exactly. And, and sometimes the, just like depending on where you live and, and where you grew up like you can be so detached from that process like so many people just go into a store every day and they buy food but they don't ever think about where it came from right? Like it was actually grown on a tree somewhere. So I think it, exactly. you can become so detached from the reality and the experience of food that you don't even realize, no, this like came out of the earth. Yeah, definitely. So I love what you said about um, just reconnecting with nature, because once you do that, that in of itself is, is where that like shift, that mental shift starts to happen. And you're like, oh, that's the tree where that apple came from. And then it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, fantastic. Lydia, it was so nice to have you on the podcast. Until next time, folks. Bye for now. Bye for now. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>